Man, I'm glad you're here today. You know that? That's every pastor's nightmare. Do you know that? Do you, do you know pastors have nightmares? It's to show up in church and be alone. That's your nightmare as a pastor. Thank you for being here today and, and uh, braving a little bit of weather. And uh, so this morning as we get started, I, I want to do something that I want to ask you a question. Uh, there's a point to this. It's not just a random question. Some of you are going to look at me like I have three heads, and some of you will know absolutely what I'm speaking of, okay? And, um, and so just bear with me. But how many of you have heard of a video game called Fortnite? See, see, some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, oh, 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 me, me. Um, we're not doing any demonstrations. We're not having any, any competitions. Um, some of you were laughing because getting your children off that game, um, you have to hook up the four-wheel drive and a chain uh, to pull them away from that game. But that game, um, literally with, within a matter of months, um, made made multiple millions and millions of dollars. Um, its initial offering was not free, but it, it is a, a free game um, that you get online. And and my big question is uh, to to uh, my uh, young man Isaac is how do they make money? And that you buy these add-ons. Um, have no idea what the, I I don't I don't know I you know but it's it's something that that kids love to play and because my son plays it I have to pay some attention to it and try to you know not I don't play it but I watch I want to get the the idea of what's going on and so um, in this this game there is there are strategies okay and it's it's not random but but they they actually the goal is to eliminate everybody else. Uh, that's on the island, and a hundred players are dropped in on an island at one time, and and it's completely abandoned uh, except for the other hundred players. And there's also a storm that if you get caught in the storm as it comes across the island, you your game is over. And so uh, one of the strategies that's built into the game um, is is the idea of building. And so as you go through the game, you collect material resources and when you encounter another player you you take that out and you begin to build as fast as you can in fact there are parts of the game where you can go and practice your building skills so that it's second nature to be able to build because when you build you gain higher ground than the opponent and when you build, it gives you a way to hide from your opponent so that you can get an advantage and eventually take that person out to defeat them, to eliminate them from that particular game. And this feature is called Build Battle. And I find that interesting because as hard as I tried to name this message anything other than that, that's what I named it. Build battle. And as we look at the scriptures today, we're going to look at somebody who found themselves in a build battle. And his name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of the minor prophets. And he was a Hebrew. He was in exile and he particularly had been exiled to Persia 
to the city of Susa, where he served Artaxerxes I, and, and in this particular relationship to him, in his servitude, he was the cupbearer. He was the one that would bring to the king what he would drink. And undoubtedly, he would have to test it. Undoubtedly, he would be the one that would, would basically oversee its security. He would be the one that would just ensure that the king could not be poisoned through what he was drinking and to make sure that he got only the best. Nehemiah lived and, and his book was written around 445 B.C. It's something that um, we don't have to just just take for granted that Nehemiah lived. Um, Nehemiah, it's really interesting because in 1903, a manuscript called the Elephantine Papyri was discovered. And we know not only the year that, that, he, that he lived, the year that he was talking about, we know the month and we know the day of the week that Nehemiah was referring to because of the specifics of what he says and these manuscripts which have been found to confirm what Nehemiah was talking about. And during that time, not only had the, the people of Israel been exiled to uh, Babylon and to Persia, but now we're finding that they are being allowed to come back to their country in waves. And there are basically three waves that they were allowed to come back in. And during the first two, the temple was rebuilt. And now is ready for that third wave, and Nehemiah is going to be part of that third wave. And, and let me just share with you that, that Jerusalem, uh, one of the oldest cities in the world, known in history, has been attacked a total of 52 times throughout its history. And it's been captured a total of 44 times. It's been besieged 23 times, and it's been destroyed twice. And the wall that exists around the city has been destroyed for a total of nine different occasions. Now, Nehemiah is in Susa, he's in the capital city, and news has reached him. And that's, that's significant because it's 900 miles from where his home was in Jerusalem. News has reached him. The temple has been rebuilt and everybody's happy about that. But, but the news particularly that has come back to him is that the walls around the city of Jerusalem have not been repaired. They, they, have, they have been knocked down. Um, there, there, there is no security in the city and the people um, are, are, they, they are not in good, a good situation. They are in reproach. Um, and and they're, um, he literally, he's unable to contain his sadness, okay? The news is that gripping to him. He, he weeps, he mourns, he begins to fast and pray over his city. And, uh, and so he goes back before the king because that's his job. And how many of you, when you go to work on Monday morning, no matter how bad anything was over the weekend, you're able to put a pretty good face on it on Monday morning? Is anybody able to do that? Okay. I mean, that's just human, that's human nature, right? Well, this was so bad, 
And I want you to, I want you to get the understanding of this, okay? Because Nehemiah didn't work for a manager. You know, he didn't work for, a, a, you know, somebody that oversaw a store. He didn't work for a principal. You know, he didn't, he didn't work for, uh, for somebody in a factory. Artaxerxes was, was self-proclaimed as the God King. He believed that he was deity, Okay. And I don't, whether you believe that or not, as, as working for the guy, you're going to be careful how you present yourself when you're around him. He, he literally could not keep himself from reflecting the sadness that he saw. And it says in scripture that the king asked him about his sadness because it says he had never come before the king with a sad face in the history of his tenure there with the king. Now you're taking a risk because listen, when there's a guy at the top that thinks he's God and has literally the, the might of the known world behind him, he can get rid of you in a, in a hurry if you're a downer, okay? But literally it says that the king inquired of him and he asked him, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah responds to the king. And he said, King, how can I not be sad when the walls that surround the city of my father have not been restored? And Nehemiah literally, he, he, he does such a, a good job of emotionally expressing himself. The king says, Nehemiah, what are you asking me? Nehemiah says to the king, King, I'm, I'm asking you, let me rebuild the walls around my city. The king did not ask any more questions about what it was going to take. He simply asked this question, how long before you will return? And the king sent him on a mission to rebuild those walls. This morning I want you and I to look at Four different things that we can learn from Nehemiah's build battle that are going to help us as we become kingdom builders here at Silver Creek Church in our community and around the world. The first thing I want you to look at is this, that the kingdom people are not perfect. Kingdom people are not perfect. Now let me ask you this, why were the Hebrews in exile? Why were they literally exiled uh, to, to different parts of the world? Why were they exiled to Babylon? Why were they exiled uh, into Persia? I'll tell you why. Because they, they, the, the bottom line is that they had begun to become like the people of Canaan. That's the reality. God said, I want you to follow me. And they were beginning to disobey. They had fully disobeyed God. They were pursuing the gods of the Canaanites. They, the, the, in, in Canaan, some of them worshipped a god called Molech. And, and in worship of Molech, you sacrificed children by fire. They had begun to follow the god of Molech. They had begun to do as the Canaanites did. And for their disobedience, for their idolatry, God brought judgment on them. These people are the same, they're the descendants of Abraham. The descendants 
of Moses. They're the descendants of King David. This is God's chosen people, and they have begun to wander so far from him, and God has judged them. Immediately after hearing of the trouble that Jerusalem was in, the disgrace that that it was in, Nehemiah begins to fast, he begins to mourn, he begins to weep, he begins to pray over the city. In chapter 1, verse 6, the second half, I want to just draw your attention to what Nehemiah, what he did here in his prayer. He said, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. What a prayer. He confesses his own sin. He confesses the sin of his family, the sin of his nation. He said, we have acted wickedly towards you. Have you not, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He said, God, we have acted wickedly. He said, God, you told us, you told us, God, that if if we would not obey you, that you were going to literally scatter us in judgment. But you said, if we will obey you, if we will seek your face, if we will follow your decrees, that you will bring us back from the four corners of the earth and you will gather us together once again around the holy city of Jerusalem. Now let me ask you this, why would God want to continue to use the Hebrew people after they sinned? After they stopped following his decrees, after they began to worship other gods, why would God want to continue to use these disobedient people? And I think that's a fair question. And we find the answer for that question that literally that God had chosen these people and he had chosen this place of Jerusalem to reveal his name, to to literally be a dwelling place for his name. The scripture talks about Jerusalem in terms like no other city in the world. That it's that special to God. He had already made that choice. Let me bring that around to you and I today. If you are someone who's looking for a perfect pastor, if you're someone who's looking for a perfect church, if you're someone that's looking for a perfect church people, you're not going to find it here at Silver Creek Church. And in fact, you're not going to find it across the street at Harvey Baptist or down the street at St. Louis the King. Why? Because there is no such thing as a perfect pastor. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no such thing as perfect church people. So the question applies, why would God want to work through an imperfect church and an imperfect pastor and imperfect people? And the answer is the same, that God has chosen to use you and I as the body of Christ to reveal himself and proclaim himself. You and I, the scripture says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has chosen him. He has chosen men and women just like you and me, as imperfect as we are, to be the dwelling place of his spirit. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says this, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Literally, God is making us into his kingdom. He has made that decision to reveal himself to the world through the kingdom that is being built in you and I. And we are not perfect. Israel was not perfect. We may not be perfect, but it's what God has chosen to do to reveal himself to the world. Number two, God favors, God's favor rather changes everything. During the time of his mourning, his fasting, and his prayer, Nehemiah determined that he was going to react. I want you to look at verse 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1. This is his request to God now. He's, he's praying still. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in uh, revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. What is Nehemiah doing? He is asking God for favor with the king. I want you to think about that for just a second. Nehemiah, he had never shown sadness in the presence of the king before. The king, the king inquires, and now with amazing boldness, Nehemiah, before the king, who was considered deity, shares with the king for the reason for his sadness. The city of my father lies in ruins. Its gates are destroyed. Will you send me? And the king says, when will you be back? What does that mean? That means God had begun to open the door for favor. Have you ever asked for something and got it? And, and you felt like it was, it was a pretty good ask. And you got it. And then afterwards, when you're reflecting on it, you come to a realization. I didn't ask for enough. Has that ever happened to you? I want you to think about that. that is a, that's, a, that's a reality. I remember one time when I did a, I did a really big presentation um, to the, the board of deacons. This is uh, before we came to Marquette. This was years ago, and, and I thought it was a pretty big ask, you know. I'm asking for all sorts of stuff for ministry, and I had it laid out, and I, I had my, this is back when there was PowerPoint. I had a PowerPoint presentation, and, and I went through, clicked through it. Man, I had percentages. I had, I had big questions, you know. What's going to happen if you don't act on this? I mean, I laid it on them as hard as I I could and and the next day my pastor said hey by the way your 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 presentation your request was approved and I was so excited and then it hit me they gave they, they said yes too easy I should have asked for more I should have found that place where, where it was just just and then maybe just asked for a little more beyond that comfort level okay I realized I could have asked for more and Nehemiah realizes that he's at a moment here where the king has already said yes he's already said well when will you be back and Nehemiah what he does is he realizes that I can go further I can ask more so he said, King, I'll be back on such and such a date. But would you also consider giving me 
letters to take with me that will secure me safe passages with the other rulers who are in that area. They, they work for him, but they, don't, they can't like, you know, FaceTime each other. And then the king says, yes, I'll give you those letters. And then Nehemiah says, oh, and king, if it's not too much. If it's not too much, could I have a letter to the royal forest guy, okay? Who knew they had royal forest guys? Can I have a letter from him to him from you that's, that's telling him that it's okay for me to get materials from your forest and from your land so that I can rebuild the gates of the city? And the king said, yes, I'm going to give those to you. Now, here's what I want you to take from this. Literally, from one conversation, the whole situation changed. Are you with me? One conversation changed everything. How many times can you look at us back and reflect on something and realize that's where it changed? That one conversation I just, I, I just want to take a second because I think this is a really crucial moment for us to get this, okay? But it was about, it was, it was five years ago, a little more than five years ago when Jennifer came and, and, and in fact she had come to me privately and she said, hey, do you think the Board of Deacons would be interested in, in using a little corner of the building as a thrift store? I, I, I was a man of faith and power. I said, absolutely not. They'll never approve it. I'm, I'm just, I'm being honest, okay? And, um, and, and, and I, it was October, uh, and she and AJ came, and she laid out the presentation. She laid out, and she said, she said, folks, I, I, man, I think that, that God can use this to, to help us connect with our community and to minister to needs, and our board of deacons took a look at that, and after she and AJ left, and they said, man, we, we think this could be God. They said, let's do this. And now, we've had people that have come through the doors of the thrift store. They have come to the church. They have accepted Christ. And Silver Creek Church is their church. And some of them are, they're even a part of greater things. It just, it, it blows me away how that, that one, it was that one crucial moment. That one crucial moment where somebody said, I know that they, they might say that they won't, but I'm going to take that chance and I'm going I'm to make that request. I want to I wanna just share with you that um, we've taken some trips to City on a Hill. How many of you have been to City on a Hill before? Let me just see your hand. There's a number of you. Uh, that's, a, that's not a bad number, and I'm seeing young people raise their hand too. That's awesome. City on a Hill's in Milwaukee. The, the director of City on a Hill is a woman named Diane DeLosantos. She's preached here several times, and, and we, we just really have developed a kinship with her. And, um, and so um, as a result of that exposure to that ministry, Barb, our director of our thrift store, said, you know, I think I want to go spend a couple of days with Diane. Now, that's, that's not a request that you get every day, okay, from somebody that's on your staff. 
And so Diane, uh, Diane said, yeah, come on down. And Barb went and spent a couple of days with Diane. And one of the things they did was they went to this, this nonprofit uh, gathering and, and, and they were taught, there was a number of nonprofits making some, uh, really, I think, some pitches to some philanthropists. And what happened was, in the course of that time, a person that was there from another nonprofit began to speak. And, and Barb realized that we needed a connection with that and it happened to be New Threads of Hope. New Threads of Hope is a ministry that gives away brand new clothing. And since that time, we have literally been able to give away through that partnership hundreds of thousands of retail worth dollars in clothing for free to our community. Hundreds of thousands, okay? Not, not thousands, not tens of thousands, but already hundreds of thousands. And it happened because there was, a, there was a key moment. There was a moment when that question was asked. I think of the, the, the moment several years ago where Brian Anderson got a call from a, a friend of his. And he said, Brian, do you know of anybody that needs any home repair work done? And Brian said, well, I think through the thrift store, I think they have some connections with some people. So he got them connected with the thrift store who got them connected. And now, over the last two summers, we have been partnering on on work repair projects with Be The Tool and Rod Schofield. It's been a phenomenal partner, but it came at one crucial moment when there was a situation. I I think of Heather, who uh, is our outreach director at the thrift store, and Heather is a person, she she can tell you stories, uh, she loves to feed people. And God, over the course of her life, in, in this community, she will be driving around, and God will speak to her and say, I want you to feed that person. Now, that's, that doesn't happen all the time, and that can feel strange, okay? But she hears the voice of the Holy Spirit, and she does it. She and Barb went to uh, an event where they were giving food to, um, to veterans. And somebody looked, took one look at her and said, you're somebody that likes to feed people, aren't you? And God sparked something, and we've done two Feeding America events in 2018. We're planning to do two in 2019. But you see, there was a critical moment in time where somebody said, I need the favor of God. And when we begin to step out as a church and as people, God grants his favor. Paul says it this way, if God is for us, who can be against us? In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. So let me ask you a question. What have we not asked for? It's quiet out there. Except for the kids, it's quiet out there today. What have we not, what favor of God have we not asked for? Not like God do me a favor. But God, grant me favor. What have we not asked for that we could ask for? I don't want to get to heaven one day and have God say, Kevin, you could have asked for a lot more because I was willing to give it. You are staring at me today. What are we not asking for? 
this is good. I'm telling, this is worth the price of, of, of admission right here. Number three, there's going to be uh, opposition. Don't kid yourself. Whenever the, the people of God begin to step out in the favor of God, there will be opposition. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> it is quiet. You, you guys must be frozen. Despite all the favor that King Artaxerxes showed Nehemiah, he still faced strong opposition. They were mocked, criticized, ridiculed, intimidated, threatened. Um, other leaders in the area tried to undermine the process. These regional leaders, Sanballat and Tobias, the two primary characters, and they literally, they, they, were, they were looking to take revenge. They were plotting to come and fight to stir up trouble. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11. It says, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Their lives were being threatened because they were operating in a manner that was going to do something that God wanted to do by restoring these walls. And their lives were being threatened. Nehemiah, he immediately, he posts guard day and night. He strategically stations people behind the lowest parts of the wall that weren't raised yet. Uh, they expose these areas of need for extra protection from the enemy. And I want you to know that in being a kingdom builder, we must understand that we will be opposed. The enemy is not want, he doesn't want us to succeed. He's going to actively work against us and we need a strategic defense system as we are kingdom builders. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I don't want you to forget what's at stake here. The kingdom of God is at stake. Nehemiah told his people, don't be afraid. Fight for your family. You say, Pastor, I, I don't know if we're fighting for our family. No, we really are. Spiritually speaking, we are fighting for our families. We are fighting for our kids to serve Jesus. We are fighting for our spouses or our, our siblings or our parents to serve Jesus. We're fighting for our neighbors to serve Jesus. We are fighting for the kingdom of God to be expanded around the world. And number four, everyone has a role. This is really important for us to understand. Have you ever thought, <clears throat> I can't do that for God because I'm not qualified? Have you ever thought that before? I think a lot of people do. A lot of people, they, ah, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't really do anything for God because... I'm not like Chris. I don't, I don't play the bass. Chris is a good bass player, too. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like Marie. I, you know, I, I don't play the piano. I can't, I can't really be used for God. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know much about the computer program. I, I can't really do, I can't do anything for God. There are so many things that we can do for God. I want you to understand something. What, first of all, and, and I think this is interesting, Nehemiah was not a soldier and he was not a contractor. Nehemiah was a waiter. 
okay? How many of you, as a part-time job growing up, you serve tables or bus tables? Raise your hand, okay? You qualify. You qualify. He was a waiter. Do you, do you know what types of people he had to work with? The people that he worked with to raise that wall around the city of Jerusalem, he was working with goldsmiths, okay? Well, okay, all right, I can work with that. They, they must know how to do something, you know. They've, they're, they're, at least they're an artisan of some sort. But they all, he also, he worked with the priests, okay, and, and, you know, the, my mom, she, she used to joke that when I was younger, um, when she was alive, she would joke that youth pastors have the softest hands in the world. Um, the joke is that youth pastors don't actually do any real work, okay? I, my own mother, I, she was throwing me under the bus, okay? He was working with priests, all right? He was working with perfume makers, what the scripture says. Read it. I don't see perfume makers as being big builders. It's just me. Okay? He was working with perfume makers. They're mentioned. I don't know how many there were, but that's what it says. That's who he was working with, and he himself was a waiter. And you know what he did? They, They literally, as they were building the wall, the threat was so real that they had to carry materials and build with one hand and hold a sword with the other. Okay? And if you've ever seen pictures of the wall of Jerusalem, it's basically a lot of rock with, with like mortar. Okay? So I can imagine you've got your bricks, you've got your mortar, you've got your sword. I just envision, and this is just me, you cannot find this in scripture, Um, you'd have to really dig and interpret it way beyond what would be good, but if it were me, I would be like sword, brick, mortar, I would be like scoop, slop, okay? I would use that sword as, as my trowel, I think, you know? Why? Because it just works, okay? But the point is, that's what they, they were, they had their sword in one hand, they're carrying the materials in the other. So they are literally, they are mortar, they are stone, but they have the sword at the ready. They had to move them into the city so that at night, just by being there and just by having their weapons, they would be guards. That's how real the threat was. And so they were, they were literally, they continued to build. They conti- the guards did not even change their clothes, okay? They just stayed dressed because they, they knew they could be needed at any second. There's one guy that's mentioned there in, in Nehemiah. His name is Malchijah. And Malchijah is, is pointed out because Malchijah he, he rebuilt one of the gates. He was the one responsible, and he built an entire section of wall, and, and this gate and this wall are specifically named in Scripture, okay? And I want to hit you with this. I want you to hear this. It was called the Dung Gate, D-U-N-G, the Dung Gate, okay? How many of you would like to come into the city through the Dung Gate? gate huh how many of you would like to work in the dung gate 
How many of you feel like you do work at the dung game? <laughs> Angela's raising her hand. Dairy farmer right there. For some people, that, that, you know, that's, that, 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 it's not desirable. But this guy was used in that. I'm going to tell you something. I gotta, and that may not have been, in fact, for the Jewish people, that, you know, there would be serious ceremonial issues as well. But there are people, and, and there are people that, that they just have a desire to serve and to, to clean up your mess. Do you know that? I, I just, I, Megan, our, our, uh, um, our, our janitor that cleans the church, Megan is amazing. She cleans windows. She cleans toilets. She cleans glitter, and I got a text about glitter yesterday that we should outlaw glitter at Silver Creek Church. I, I just, I want to, I want, there's, there, I got people like David and Andrea that every, every Sunday after church, you know what they're doing? They're emptying garbages. They're cleaning out coffee makers. They're doing things that not everybody else wants to do. They're taking care of that section of the wall, that section of the gate. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Man, thank you for your willingness to do that. Scripture says that the people worked with all their hearts. That wall at that time was about a mile and a half to two miles around. Some places it was 20 feet high, and it took them 52 days to complete it. 52 days. And here's what Nehemiah says. This is, I'm closing with this. I know I've gone a little long. I'm sorry. Nehemiah 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Let me tell you something about the enemy. He knows that he's defeated. But he doesn't know that you know that. Okay? He doesn't know that other people know about that. In fact, if you asked him, he'd lie about that and say that he's not defeated. But the truth is that he is defeated. And when the church begins to act in the favor of God to build the kingdom of God, it causes the enemy to lose his confidence. Man, I'm telling you, when the church isn't doing anything, the enemy is confident because he is having a heyday in our world today. But when the church begins to move and it begins to operate to expand the kingdom of God, it literally causes the enemy to get nervous. Paul said he was one of the greatest kingdom builders on the face of the earth. He said we face death all day long. We're like sheep to the slaughter. But in Romans 8, 37, he said, knowing all these things, we were more than conquerors through him who loved us. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody that considers Silver Creek Church their church, I want you to be involved in being a kingdom builder. I want you to pray for favor. I want you to pray for protection over the body of Christ. I want you to join us in supporting global missions, in supporting local ministries and strategic partnerships. 
I want you to stand beside us as we do outreach ministry into this community. In short, I want you to be a kingdom builder in every sense of the word. It's going to encompass our giving. It's going to encompass our doing. And it's going to encompass our being. Because that's what God has called us to do. You're going to notice that on your offering envelopes, it says kingdom builders. You say, what, what does that mean? Where did missions go? That's missions. Okay? When we talk about outreach, that's kingdom builders. When we talk even about Gideons, that's kingdom builders. When we talk about Chi Alpha, that's kingdom builders. Do you see what I'm saying? That literally all of these things, when we wrap them all together, it's building the kingdom of God. And I believe that God is not just calling us to continue. I believe God is calling us to grow and expand the kingdom. That means we have to be willing to grow and expand right along with it. Okay, Our vision needs to grow and expand so that next year we're not supporting the same number of missionaries and ministries that we are this year. I believe that it needs to grow. I believe that God will draw people uh, to us and, and be part of this body of believers and that that opportunity will, to grow will come. That we can grow in our ministries and our outreaches. That one day it's not just two feeding Americas, it's three feeding Americas. That we can continue to, to reach out, to grow, to expand the kingdom of God. Amen?